This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. What are we doing today? We're returning to Tales from the Most Icely Cantina, reading Empire Blues, the Deveronian's Tale, which is the eighth short story in that collection. Ooh, a Deveronian, you say? Yes. Okay. I do say. <laughs> it was written by Daniel Keyes Morin and edited by Kevin J. Anderson and published by Bantam Spectra in June 95. Including this story, Morin has written a total of three Star Wars short stories. One of his other stories, A Barve Like That, The Tale of Boba Fett from Tales from Jabba's Palace, was published under the pseudonym J.D. Montgomery. Wow, that is a very different name. Apparently, editorial changes made him unhappy with the final product and had his name taken off of it as a result. Wow, okay, this unfolds even further. <laughs> he says that the story published is about 80% his. I mean, that's not... I, I guess it depends on what 80%. That's, I, don't, I don't imagine that that's unusual in the editing world. Especially in a collection like this where things are playing off each other. I'm just saying what I saw online. Wow, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the other short story he wrote is called The Last One Standing, The Tale of Boba Fett from Tales of the Bounty Hunters. So which one did he write last? The one that he complained about? Was that the last one he wrote and then he never wrote for them again? In terms of the publishing timeline, actually, Jawa's Palace did come out before uh, Bounty Hunters. As to when each one was written first, technically by him, that I have no idea. Did he write any later stuff for Star Wars? Nope, just these three things. Well, given that they were all published from 95 to 96... I would almost bet that this was part of like a batch contract that he I can believe it. Wrote. Been, I find actually quite interesting. Two of them have the subtitle, The Tale of Boba Fett. <laughs> and we'll get to the both of those stories in the future. Guy loves Boba Fett. There's always one of them in a crowd. And this is, of course, back before we knew anything. Any, like this is like the, I think this is one of the first times we got any insight into who Boba Fett is. And one could argue that we still don't know anything about Boba Fett. Fair enough. To this day. <laughs> this is one of the few Star Wars stories to be told from first-person perspective. Empire Blues tells the story of Cardus Saimalak, a Deveronian who comes from a military family, but has left that life behind. Now all he really cares about is his music, which has become increasingly hard to find because of the Empire's crackdown on artists. So not really like not his produced music. His collected music. His music that he seeks out to listen to. The story opens with Cardu Simulac reflecting on what brought him to Tatooine. He is the third of the Cardu line to bear that name, and he's from Deveron, a sparsely populated world even by its native species. His family has served in the Deveronian army for 16 generations, dating back to before the Clone Wars. I would say it sounds like well before the Clone Wars. Uh, I guess it depends on how long Deveronians live, how quickly they reproduce. He's got a decent lifespan because he's got at least 20 years. That's true. And he was So not bit, that fast. So he's got to be at least 30 or 40 in the story. I guess maybe the Clone Wars just to authors of this time period maybe felt like the closest big cultural landmark for them to reference in the past. That any a reader would at least have a, a vague idea of his existence. Yeah, so you say... They served in the Deveronian army for 16 generations, dating back before the Clone Wars. And the reader goes, oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Basically. At some point, the Deveronian army worked for the Empire. Who didn't? Indeed. And about 20 years ago, 
Cardu was tasked with eliminating a rebel cell on the planet, and that was the moment he became done with military life for probably obvious reasons. Having to round up and murder your own people would put anyone off of such a thing. It did take him another six months to leave the armed services, but it seemed like it was a bureaucratic thing. He wanted to be able to kind of get away scot-free, at least in terms of the contract. He also has to date 20 years. This is one of those stories that doesn't quite line up with how the prequel trilogy works out, because the Empire isn't quite 20 years old at this point. Yeah. It's close enough. And you can even say, like, you know, the Republic was going dark. Maybe it was the Republic at the time, and he thinks of them as the Empire now because that's what became. Yeah, I mean. You, you can make it work, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, you could make the argument that he's telling this story now. So that the touch point for someone who's listening to the story would be, I know what the Empire is, but they might not know what the Republic is. And like you said, for all intents and purposes, they are the same beast. Like, one collapsed into the other so it wouldn't necessarily make sense to refer to it as the republic and instead of rebels it could be a separatist cell because this would have been smack in the middle of the clone wars sure and we know that lots of separatists were aliens yep exactly terrible i actually kind of like this as a theory that makes it work <laughs> with how canon has played out <laughs> we can make anything fit give us any square peg and we'll put it into a round hole until it fits Exactly. <laughs> Not true. There are some things that you just cannot. Like what Zon talked about the Clone Wars being how many decades ago? Unless. Unless? Were the two Clone Wars? No. There could have been. But I'm just thinking about the inevitable time dis- distortion that comes of traveling uh, so far in such a short time, right? Mm-hmm. That's never really addressed as a an internal issue to the Star or Wars like universe. Or like being different from planet to planet because they're going to be wildly different. Oh yeah, day cycles also. Yeah, like, like maybe twenty years for for Dever on his past, but for Tatooine it's been five years or something. Who it knows? is hard enough for me to schedule a phone call with somebody on the East Coast. I cannot imagine trying to schedule one with somebody on another planet. So, so I, I get why they just <laughs> they do a standard thing and don't go beyond that. Sure. Except on rare occasion when the story does call for it. Or sometimes the author is like, I like hardcore sci-fi. I'm going to put some science in here. Some some attempt at science. Sounds like Timothy's on. <laughs> Sounds like Stackpole, or too. Stackpole, he yeah. did a lot with like hyperspace calculations. <laughs> anyway. The rebels had taken up residence in a city called Montillion Surat. It was an old city dating back to before, before Deveron had space travel. So this is a very historic site. This is... Rome might be a decent comparable for us from a sure. modern day context. Yeah. Uh, so overnight they shelled the city and in the morning they asked the rebels to surrender and about, and they did and they captured about 700 of them and they're put into these large pens and Cardu then destroyed what was left of the city to set an example for those who would rebel against the empire. But in the afternoon, Cardu's forces were ordered to take care of another rebel cell and to leave no one behind to guard the prisoners. There could be no clearer instructions here. Cardu had no choice but to order the execution of all 700 rebels. Yeah, it wasn't said, but it was said. I mean, the orders are, go deal with this other thing. Do not leave any of your men behind to guard the prisoners. The implication is not then, oh, I guess we're letting the prisoners go. That doesn't sound very imperial. No. <laughs> It took about six months to track down and eliminate the other cell, 
But once they were destroyed, Cardu resigned from the military and just disappeared. And apparently today, there is a 5 million credit bounty on the Butcher of Montellian Surat. Who put out the bounty? The Empire or his own people? <laughs> uh, the book doesn't specify, but I could believe Devermont itself or the Empire. I guess at this point, if we're assuming that Deveron is still under the Imperial heel, they surely wouldn't have enough credits of their own to dig up to, like, yeah. or prestige I mean, it, or power. It could be someone rich from Deveron who wants revenge for the destruction of this just historic site. But would you would you really risk as a rich person on Deveron advertising a bounty for someone who just carried out the Empire's orders? That would create, that would make you a target. It would. So I think it must be the Empire. But I also feel like you can't post anonymous bounties. Or like bounties where you, they don't know who the payout is. I think the Empire would ferret that information out. If they cared. I don't think they care that much. He's an alien who disappeared on them. There's some bureaucrat in there who's bored. And who has nothing better to do. Fair enough. I guarantee it. There's a data worker. I know it. <laughs> uh, and then we get a little bit of biological information about <laughs> Devronians. Apparently, Devish men and women have different kinds of teeth. The men have very sharp, pointy teeth, while the women have much flatter teeth. The men's are for, you know, carnivorous eating. Women's are for plant eating, essentially. The idea being basically that men go out to hunt. While they're on the hunt, they can eat meat. But the women who are back home, who are watching the homestead and children, can eat, can subsist on, like crops yeah. while they're out hunting probably not crops but like they're probably they've probably evolved beyond necessarily these exact roles right but back in their evolutionary history this was what was done but about one in 50 devish men actually are born with both sets of teeth and cardu is one of these exceptions i know it wasn't meant that way but it makes it feel like cardu is almost uh, a trans or an intertext character from the 90s, which is essentially unheard <laughs> of in Star Wars, but it feels a little bit like that for this species. Yeah, I mean, in as much as you can translate human gender identity to aliens, I feel like that's always really tricky because... Yeah, and I, I don't think that was intentional anyway, but I just, no. I from my perspective, you can almost look back at on that in that way. I could certainly imagine reading it that way, especially if you were a young intersex or trans individual who was desperate for just like a reflection yeah you know and in the eu there's really not in that regard i mean the unfortunate side effect of that is if you do interpret it that way carter says this other thing about how you know having both sets of teeth allows you to be more solitary like the purpose that this evolutionary quirk fulfills is that a person with both sets of teeth can scout away from the pack and ahead because they can subsist on anything mm -hmm. And so that <laughs> leads to like a troubling implication that you're just solitary, cut off from the community. It's, so I wouldn't really want to carry that um, too analogy too far just because it seems sad. Yeah. It also could be read as they're that much more important because they can do more work. Yeah, it. it could totally be empowering. I'm yeah. just a huge Debbie Downer <laughs> and I automatically see the worst in everything. <laughs> Uh, Cardi was actually even able to retract his flat teeth and just have his mouth full of sharp teeth and uses this to great effect to scare humans. And scare me. Reminds me of a shark. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, sharks have multiple rows of teeth, right? Also Sam Regal. Uh, yeah, he definitely has multiple sets of teeth. 
That's why he looks like that. That's why his mouth is so wide. <laughs> anyway. Cardu has taken up residence on Tatooine and considers Wu Her the, you know, kind of grumpy bartender, his friend. He thinks there's a purity to Wu Her's loathing for the universe that is quite advanced for a human. Really interesting. Cardu is apparently the first one through the door every morning, so that explains why he thinks that Wu Her is his friend. Yeah, it's kind of just where he hangs out all day, every day. What a life. Apparently, Tatooine was supposed to just be a temporary stop for Cardu. He was following Maxa Jandavar, one of the few surviving artists worth seeing live that Cardu had never seen in person. But he kept missing her because Maxa does not set her schedule. The Empire doesn't trust artists, especially great ones or inflammatory ones. So it was too dangerous for her to like advertise tour dates and locations. So he kind of like via gossip and hearsay was like tracking her across like, the galaxy. He, was, he showed up multiple times just after she left. Yeah. Like, oh, she's playing on like Bassman for two weeks. He gets there. Oh, she left yesterday. Sorry, buddy. And so when he first arrives on Tatooine, it turns out that, you know, she gets arrested on the next stop, which he was about to leave again to go and see her on Morvagadin. And then she died in custody. So that's a huge bummer. Yeah. And so he just sort of ends up cooling his heels on Tatooine. He actually goes by the name of Labria on Tatooine. And in his own language, apparently Labria means cold food. But it's also an extremely dirty word. Sex, excrement, etc. The things that we think of as swear words are not <laughs> swear words to Devronians. Cold food is, though. I mean... <laughs> Which I, I love that little cold food. Yeah, that. if you really want to pick this apart, that basically means that like the thing that is most reprehensible to them is the idea of having to eat like raw meat while they're out on a hunt. If we go back to that evolutionary history, they've gone beyond that. Like ideally you bring your food back to a campfire and cook it like a civilized individual. And if you don't, then you suck. <laughs> Cold food. Libria. Cardu sees a nunthe at the bar, the species that eviscerated one godel in our last short story. <laughs> And thinks that she looks bored and horny, and he feels really sorry for someone. So because of something that happens later in the story, this bit of her sitting at the bar doesn't really seem to fit here. Mm -hmm. Because at the very end of the story, he mentions Obi-Wan delimming somebody. Right. And she shows up on Tatooine like two days before that or something. Yeah, in that story. Right. But here, it's like weeks before that mm -hmm. moment, and she's just chilling at the bar. So my thought, and I like this thought a lot, <laughs> is actually that she is a con artist, per, like, or a predator, like genuinely a predator, yeah. and is just, you know, cruising for targets to eat. That sob story <laughs> about trying to get home to be see her mom, that was just that, a sob story. It was not true. That was the con. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really like that. It makes me like the ending of that previous story even more. It wasn't just some innocent young thing who did what came naturally. She was a huntress. She's cruising prey. the galaxy looking for idiots to eat. <laughs> and I, 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 that makes me like that story that much more. It's still I, creepy. I still don't like it, but I like the ending that much yeah, more. Yeah, I almost feel like I would have just preferred that story from her point of view if this if this interpretation of mine is correct. Or like we had hints that this was the case. Or like this story would come first, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because especially the idea that she's sitting here looking bored. Like... Who can I seduce eat next an innocent waif is not sitting at the bar looking bored no that's and she's definitely not then later shocked when 
what's his face takes her to the same bar and she's not going to be shocked by all the behavior there if she's already been there yeah. unless she's acting now i think what actually happened is probably that there there was a slip of editing timelines and not the first time that happened in this collection continuity like, is the word i was looking for. It, yeah. they do a pretty good job but there are a couple of errors here and then yeah this could be one but I, I'm going to take your head cannon as fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to interpret it this way because it's more fun. Cardu tells Wuher a joke about how ignorant humans are and Wuher almost smiles at it until he realizes it's an insult to him. Cardu drinks enough to keep the world slightly out of focus before heading home when the twin suns set. He spends his days doing some information brokering, but he's just not very good at it. A creature he calls Long Snoot comes to talk to him and we all know <laughs> who Long Snoot is. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I mean, as soon as he said long snoot, I was like, oh, yeah, I know. It's the dude with the goggles and the elephant nose. Yeah. Yeah. His real name is Grindon, but we're going to call him long snoot because that's, it's funnier. That's what Cardu calls him. In a city full of spies, long snoot is far and away the most successful one. And he has come to sell Cardu some information. Which, you know, long snoot tracking Han, Luke and the others down. Now it's not quite so bad because he's such a good spy. Only the best could catch them. Oh, please. <laughs> Han Solo leaves a trail behind him of stink lines. And Luke is not, not any better. And Chewie's um, definitely not any better. He's shedding hair, probably, especially on Tatooine. Yeah. Oh, my God. How much Wookiee hair do you think is all over Han's clothes at all times? I mean, you think about there's a shot in one of the sequel trilogy movies. I think it's in Last Jedi. It might be Force Awakens. We can see it's a distinct difference between the two chairs of Han's chair versus Chewie's chair. And Chewie's chairs look so much more beat up and worn <laughs> because of just the large size body that's on there all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways. So Cardu asks, what does Long Snoot have to sell him? Cause he doesn't want to buy it without having some idea of what it is first. You know, is this something I can sell myself? Long Snoot says, no, it's really only interest to you. Cardu. Cardu's like, that's interesting. I can't sell it. Only I'm going to like it. How much? <laughs> 50 credits. All right, I can do it. So Long Snoot tells him that Figrin Dan is on Tatooine and currently working for Jabba. Cardu also considers the modal nodes to be the greatest jizz band in the galaxy and desperately wants to see them. So Long Snoot has picked his target correctly. Mm-hmm. He's worried that he doesn't have much time, though, since he thinks Jabba will likely feed them to his rancor when he grows bored with them. Cardu worries that because Jabba is just so uncultured in music that he's just not going to like the modal nodes and just be done with them within a day or two. I mean, it's hard to tell where his ears are, so fair enough. <laughs> There's a little, like, holes. Yeah. Turns out, Cardu is a music lover and has a collection of music recordings hidden in his apartment. And it consists of the greatest musicians that he has ever heard. Some of his recordings are completely unique, while others are merely just rare. And the Empire banned much of this music a generation ago, which that actually does track with the timeline. Mm-hmm. Like a generation ago is about when the empire rose. So. I don't think that would have been happening a ton in the Republic. Well, probably some during the Clone Wars, but not openly. But once the empire was like you, you like banning everything. Oh, I bet any artists who were pulling like a Dixie Chicks and protesting the Clone Wars absolutely got banned. Quietly, though, I don't think. For, I don't think they would have been shouting from the rooftops. They would have done under the empire. I bet they would have advertised it. I guess it depends on where it was happening. I mean, think about the lines they got. I'm relying on the Clone Wars here, which obviously was not even a twinkle in anybody's eye at the point that the story was written. But like, think about how harsh the lines are that get drawn between loyalists 
and people who are sympathetic at all to separatists. True. Like that loyalist contingent would a hundred percent pull a ban Dixie chicks from the radio move. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so Cardu desperate to see the modal nodes decides he's going to go see Java and sell him some information, but he really just wants to see the modal nodes before their potentially untimely death. Untimely eating. Yeah. So he tells Jabba on the idea of hiring a new mercenary named Oberon Metlo, and Jabba agrees and invites Oberon to his castle. Unfortunately, Cardu is not invited as well, and he will not get to the modal notes. His idea was that he should be part of this whole meet and greet because he introduced Jabba to Oberon, but that was a thin... It was, but given the short notice... This is probably the best thing he could come up with. This is kind of how we see how he's not a great information broker. Yeah. This was a, a misstep. The next day, Cardi learns that the modal nodes are Jabba's new favorite band, so while they will live, it's going to be difficult for Cardi to get a chance to see them since they're always at the palace and it's kind of invite only. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Luke. Sure, then you can just walk right in. Hearing this news, he heads to the cantina and drinks himself into oblivion for several days because he just can't handle it. And on the fifth day of this drunken binge, he gets beaten and mugged. Luckily, Wooher finds him passed out on the ground and actually helps him get home. A sliver of humanity that I had not thought to find in Wooher, the great melter of Greedo. Right? <laughs> Cardu stays home for several weeks, not going outside until he's able to take care of himself. Because he knows if he goes outside while still hurt... He'll be jumped again and probably won't survive this time. I can't believe you didn't put the weirdest part about this in the notes. He hangs out in his basement in-law unit for weeks, basically just sitting in the shower with the water running over him and eating meat off of carcasses. It's so weird. And it's written off as because it's in first person. It's just totally normal for him. This is apparently how Deveronians heal cracked ribs or something. It makes you wonder when he first started... When Maxa first died, he probably did this back then, too. Got really drunk, got beat up, ate some meat in I'm the shower. I'm not sure about the beat up part, but just <laughs> stayed in the shower and was drunk <laughs> eating meat. That's the combo of the shower and the meat for me that is so weird. Like, he just has the water streaming over his bloodied body, and he's just gnawing on, like, a cow leg. <laughs> bantha leg. Bantha leg, whatever. God, do people really eat banthas? Yeah, bantha steak is a thing. That's sad. It's mentioned somewhere in the books. Banthas are too nice to eat. Yeah. In my opinion. Especially after Book of Boba Fett. Cardu finally goes back out into the world and heads to the cantina, as he always does. And when he gets there, Wooher gives him a drink on the house. It's Marantine Gold, and he had no idea that Wooher had it. Apparently, this is a really exotic, amazing drink that he's always Top asking shelf. for. You know, knowing Wuhu doesn't have it, so Wuhu's like, yeah, I got it for you, and just gives him, like, the local ale or something, and Wuhu apparently has it, and just gives him a drink for free. Maybe they are friends. Cardu spends the morning getting caught up on all the local news. He hears about a battle over Tatooine the night before, obviously, when Leia's ship was captured. Finally setting where this is in the timeline, because up until now... It was kind of unclear. Yeah. Well, if you're judging it against earlier stories in the collection... Well, not Night Lily, the modal nodes. Oh, yes. He also learns that the mercenary he'd recommended to Jabba started trouble, shooting two guards and then becoming rancor food. <laughs> and now he's worried that because of his bad advice, Jabba will come after him. Ruh-roh. Long Snoot also tells him about the upcoming wedding of Lady Valerian, which, if you've been listening to our show long enough, 
which is not that long, granted. Uh, we in our, <laughs> It's a few months. Yeah. This is the eighth short story. And we we also had one about a forced apart. So this, is, I think, would have been eight or nine months ago when we actually talked about the, the Thigger and Dan episode. Wow. Where the Lady Valerian episode, the Lady Valerian wedding happens. I cannot believe that was that long ago. <laughs> I'm feeling some uh, cognitive dissonance with our timeline right now. Pandemic timeline. So... Cardu comes up with a plan related to this information about Lady Valerian's wedding and convinces Wu Her to hire the modal nodes once his plan is complete, because the plan will end with Wu Her being able to hire the modal nodes. Wu Her, however, is going to need to help Cardu in order to execute this plan. Cardu goes to Lady Valerian, trying to convince her to hire the modal nodes instead of Max Rebo. Apparently, she's a big Max Rebo fan, but she's also kind of dumb. A little bit. And via a game of basically, oh, don't you know, Max Rebo is out. She's eventually convinced by Cardi that if Jabba has something, she should too. Especially at her wedding. Her most special of special days. So even though it's clear that she still is like Max Rebo's number one fan, she... I think Star Wars Explained might be Max Rebo's number one fan. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) She's number two. I saw. I heard the crack in his voice as he described Max Rebo getting blown up, potentially. <laughs> On the morning of the wedding, Cardu calls Jabba, and Jabba refers to him as his least favorite spy, after the bad information he got. And Cardu tells Jabba that his favorite band is at Lady Valerian's wedding. The biffs that are with you now are not the real deal. Yeah, so now we know who sold them out. <laughs> yeah, so thinking back to the story, we don't do weddings... They had thought Jabba wouldn't notice another Bith band in their place for a day while they were at the wedding. And indeed, it seems like he would not have if not for one Cardu Labrea. For this information, Jabba says that he won't kill him over what happened with the mercenary. And Cardu's like, whew. Because, yeah, God. you can totally trust that Jabba won't have a fit and decide to kill you anyway. Whatever. The plan is that after everything goes down, the modal nodes won't want to go back to working for Jabba. So Wooher will be able to hire them for cheap because they'll be desperate for work. Yeah, it's fair. Capitalism at its finest. Cardu watches people arrive at the wedding, including some of Jabba's thugs, and he thinks that everything's going pretty well this morning. But then stormtroopers show up and crash the wedding, which is something that he hadn't counted on. He does see Wooher and the Bith escape. They are being chased by two stormtroopers. So Cardu goes over and he just trips one of the stormtroopers, and it falls over him because stormtroopers are nothing if not kind of clumsy. Yeah, they can't I can't mean, see very well. Yeah, they're the uh, the cannon fodder yeah. of the empire. He then picks up the rifles and removes the charges from them and hands them back to the two stormtroopers. He then tries to bribe them into just leaving things be, but they actually ask, "Are you trying to bribe us?" And he responds, "Well, not if you're going to be snotty about it." And then bares <laughs> his teeth at them. And then I guess they leave. Yeah. <laughs> The next day at the cantina, the modal nodes are getting set up as Cardu enters. He tells Wuher that he deserves a finder's fee and asks for free drinks for a year. Wuher says he'll give him seven free drinks a day, knowing how much Cardu drinks, for as long as the band stays. If he drinks more, Cardu's going to have to pay for it. Cardu agrees. Seven drinks, depending on how strong they are, if you're really drinking from morning to evening, and depending on your constitution, which I don't know what a Deveronian, Devish, whatever constitution is like, probably pretty hearty, you probably wouldn't actually stay 
truly drunk the way that he was early in the story on just seven drinks. Yeah. Cardu then plays some sabacc with the band. You call back from, we don't do weddings. A couple of them had a bit of a gambling issue. Apparently the deck that's being used is marked with symbols that can only be seen in infrared light. Something that Devonians can see, but Bith cannot. So pretty soon he owns most of their equipment and instruments, ensuring that they can't leave. (laughs) (laughs) The band starts playing and Cardu just wants to sit back, relax, and enjoy the music. But it keeps getting interrupted. First, the band squabbles. Then, Cardi thinks, an old fool chopped up another old, another fool with a lightsaber? <laughs> then, Psychotic Solo showed his face and killed the miserable excuse for a bounty hunter, Greedo. Cardi thinks if he had a blaster, he would have shot Hall in the back. <laughs> but the band is finally able to get into the music in the evening, and Cardi sits back and enjoys it. Pretty much the only one in the cantina who can truly appreciate their music. As we know, Kabe hates it. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a nice little economy of how Kata views the music versus how Cardiff views the music. I, yeah. I like that. I think it probably falls somewhere in between for me. It's not like... It's catchy. It's it's classic. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, when I'm really anxious, the thing that gets stuck in my head is just... and it just doesn't stop like just those two notes repeat instead of the whole thing that's what anxiety sounds like (laughs) (laughs) there are videos look them up their choice (laughs) so it seemed like we both kind of liked this story (laughs) yeah after a couple of weird and frankly creepy stories that i didn't really like although again this one did make me like the night lily one the ending a bit better it was just nice to have a weird story that I enjoyed. It's not my favorite of the series, but it was a much needed change of pace from the previous two. Yeah, I agree. I actually really like this one, despite the first person, which I usually struggle with. That's just subjective to me. I have a hard time with first person. I don't like to be too close to anybody. <laughs> but despite that, I thought that it gave the story a really distinct voice that I liked. Like a lot of these other stories have felt like very what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of like there's not a distinct narrator, which is fine. But Labria Cardu, we talked earlier about how I actually thought of him as Labria the entire time. And you thought of him as Cardu. He has a really drawn out way of telling his tale. There's lots of long sentences, semicolons, and that's in juxtaposition with really sudden paragraph breaks and short, short scene sections. It just had a lot of flavor. It gave this character a lot of character not just in his actions or in his thoughts or in his speech, but in the narration itself. It was almost stream of consciousness. Mm, I wouldn't say so. No? I would say that I could imagine somebody narrating in this way when they're like sitting on their porch talking to their grandkids. <laughs> like Back in my day. He just, especially at the beginning, he kind of wandered around a lot. Yeah. You know? Or even that part where he's just in the shower eating meat. <laughs> like, Grandpa, why are you including this? Why do I need to know this information? Shut up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> we do bad Grandpa impressions. Yep. So I agree. First person can be hit or miss, I think, more than almost any other perspective for me. Actually, no, sorry. I think second person is the most hit or miss for me. Um, oh, you hardly ever see anything in second right, person. Right. I think because it is so rare is why it's the most yeah. hit or miss. But of the the quote-unquote more common perspective, first person is more is very hit or miss. Um, but I really liked just how you got into his head and you got to know who he was, what he cared about, and just really add to the story of what was going on. Like, 
I felt bad for the poor guy. And I have felt not bad for most of the characters in these <laughs> stories. When the Godel died, I cheered. <laughs> when Greedo, you know, got his head melted, I wanted to go throw up. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, though, because he did do a terrible thing. He did. It's just that he's so stark about it. And so, like, upfront about, I did this thing. I did it because of this. I left and didn't do those things anymore. And he he reads to me like the kind of character who, you know, he did all of his agonizing a long time ago. He's not he's not trying to make up for anything. He can't make anything right. He's just trying to live out the rest of his life. Peacefully. Peacefully, without conflict, without contributing to the problems of the galaxy. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually sympathized with this character, which is not something that I could say for a lot of the characters in the previous few stories. Yeah. Like Wuher's story. I did not. I sympathized with Wuher more in this story. Oh, yeah. In this story, it's like, wow, Wuher has a friend. It's a weird friend, but like he has an attachment to somebody. I I was not a big fan of Wuher's story or Wuher in it. He didn't come off very well. But this story... It doesn't fully turn me around on Wuher, but it, it kind of turns me around on Wuher. Like, we see him as a friend to Cardu, helping him get home after he was attacked, and then giving him that free drink of that really special alcohol that he shouldn't even have. And he's sharing this ex- incredibly expensive thing, this gift with his friend. And I, I really like their friendship. And Wuher, to me, is a character who, by himself, I'm just like, I, I can't deal with him. <laughs> I can't but deal with you melting people's heads in your basement. With certain <laughs> other characters, I can actually really like what they're doing because of their interactions together, and this is a great example. Uhur by himself, not interested. Uhur with Cardu, though, really sweet, surprisingly. <laughs> oh, just goes to show you a bad person can be a bad person. Reed, melting sentient beings' heads, but can still be... A, f- a friend to someone. It's yeah. just got to be the right someone. To be fair, Greedo was dead. So it's not, is he bad for using Greedo's body that way? Yes. He's fair. going to feed him to Jabba. It's just messed up. Like, drink him to Jabba because it's very. Whatever. Dumb. I know that it's not technically cannibalism, but I feel like there's. There's a word There's for a cannibalism that is between just between sentient species, not just between humans. Yeah. And I feel like that's it. Though you could argue how sentient a hut is. Or Greedo. <laughs> Poor Greedo. He has 600 personalities and 7,000 versions of himself running amok in Star Wars. <laughs> I feel like this story, though, actually can fit in almost any version. Like He, he just thinks of Greedo as this incompetent, useless bounty hunter. Yeah. That fits... I think every iteration we've seen of him. And you can think of somebody as incompetent regardless of whether or not they actually are, just depending on what you see of them. So it really fits any version of bumbling Greedo or like the Greedo who insulted Wooher for his drink mixing. Or the Greedo who was just bragging about what a great hunter he was. That's the one that I was just referring to. Yeah, that's right. That was that one. Yeah. I have a better memory than you. Mm -hmm. That's not true at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I also liked about Labria that he has one goal, which is to enjoy music. <laughs> and he's, he's not getting out of bed for anything else. <laughs> he could probably broker more interesting, profitable information if he wanted to. Sure. Is he going to, though? No. Not unless it's, it fits his goal of grooving in the music. <laughs> uh, you know, like we said, he had kind of a nasty past with a lot of pain however understated it actually was in his very stark retelling. And now he just wants to coast. Good for him. 
I found the Deveronian like history evolution thing interesting about the two sets of teeth dividing his people into these two roles. Yeah, I did too. Or like, I like living by the culture about how Libria is a bad word, a swear word to them. Mm-hmm. And that he used it as a name, as like an inside joke to himself. Like, I, I really like his sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, he tells Wu Her more than the one joke. Actually, early in the story, he tells Wu Her lots of jokes. It kind of seems like he's harassing Wu Her with jokes. Slowly chipping away at that wall. Yeah. You will laugh. You will be as much my friend as I think you are. This actually also gave a fresh light to multiple earlier stories, as we discussed, but mostly why Wu Her was even there to help the modal notes. Yeah, it was just a random meeting at the wedding. Yeah. He was there specifically for them. Yeah. So that that continuity was a fun touch. Yeah. Like I said before, one of the things I love about the EU is just exploring the vast continuity, but seeing the small moments where it connects together. And I really like that one. Yeah. I did keep wondering, I think this is my biggest quibble, what Grace meant in context with Libria. Like he'll say that like now he needs to like I don't know, like work off grace or he's used up grace by doing something by tripping the stormtroopers or whatever. It definitely seemed religious or spiritual in some way, probably a cultural thing. I am a little bummed that ultimately it wasn't explained, but honestly, we've seen how that can go too far in the other direction mm-hmm. with the authorian, I think is a good example of like just packing so much exposition about the culture, about the person into a bunch of paragraphs. So this really just, it was good as flavor. If this was going to be a longer story, I would have want, wanted that to be examined eventually. But it just helped him feel a little bit well-lived in, basically, which is fine for a story this short. Yeah. And the final thing I liked a lot was the ending. We see the perspective of Ben chopping up someone's arm, Han shooting Greedo, and just like his thoughts about those, how just like annoyed he was at the interruption. And it's so brief. That That was the part that I appreciated. I wasn't even going to bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) You did for me though. So now I I get to say it. it. (laughs) I liked that too. He's just like, oh, psychotic solo. Some guy chopped another guy's arm off. Some old fool with a lightsaber. (laughs) What is that? Why is that here? Yeah, that, uh, that wraps up our story of Empire Blues, the Veronian's Tale. Now let's check the Holonet for messages. So we have a follow-up email from Zach, who, who we responded to last month. Zach says, as to what pre-Return of the Jedi stuff I'd be interested in hearing you cover, I'm particularly enamored with Darth Plagueis, even if it might present a problem due to how much other EU stuff it overlaps with. So I think Darth Plagueis is one we could absolutely read someday. I don't think it'll be this year, but I do think it could definitely happen. But yeah, I have actually read this one. Yes, you did. If we go back to pre Return of the Jedi stuff, there's actually not everything, but there's a fair amount of stuff that I read. So Mm -hmm. many of them will be rereads for me, which will be an interesting (laughs) new flavor to it. Yeah, I think think Plagueis is definitely one that we can uh, get to someday. I remember it being interesting. And also, and I think this is the first time this has ever happened, we actually have two emails to read this week. Oh my goodness. Who are we? (laughs) So our second email is from Jean-Claude, who has emailed us previously. Uh, It's been a while, but it's great to hear from him again. It's a bit of a lengthy email, so we're going to do our best to summarize this. 
Jean-Claude has a lot of good insights into the recent Isard's Revenge uh, reading an episode, yes. I think. <laughs> it was an illuminating email for me. <laughs> so his email is all about, I should have mentioned our discussion about it. Uh, he starts with saying that he has, he read it last year while writing his thesis. And he agrees with many of our critical points, I think especially the ones that you made it, since I think you were more critical of the book than I was. What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> he also said is that he prefers the Wraiths and Alston over Stackpole and the Rogues. And good news, the next X-Wing book will be written by Alston. It won't be about the Wraiths, but Alston is the writer. You just put me on the biggest roller coaster. I mean, it only had one up and one down, but it was a journey for me. <laughs> I mean, it will have familiar characters, is what I will say. Okay. How far away is that? Yeah, it's a ways away, probably sometime next year. We we will have a Stackpole book before then as well, I Jedi. But for the next true X-Wing book, that will be written by Alston. Okay. And he also thinks he knows why Colonel feels like a second-rate villain. Um, he just finished reading recently the X-Wing comic, uh, also written by Michael A. Stackpole. So in these comics, apparently, we find a lot of the characters from Isard's Revenge. We see how Baron Fell and Turfanir meet the old before reforming in X-Wing Book 1 rogues and are then defeated. And Brentel 5 is conquered slash liberated by the rebels. This was also the first battle between State Pistage and Isard for the power in the Empire. And in the last four X-Wing comics, we see how St. Passage tries to flee to the New Republic and is killed by Krennel after being informed by Isard that she chose him to be the new military power in the Empire if he kills Passage for her. So I, should, I had actually forgotten the details of these comics. I read them a very long time ago, and I think only once or twice. So what? did you forget that they were even related to this book at all, basically? Like I it think didn't so. cross your mind? <laughs> I, I knew they were about rogue adventures between the reformation in Rogue Squadron and Return of the Jedi, but I just couldn't, I didn't remember any of the details about them. Yeah. So when I've always been a much heavier book than comic reader, there are a few comics, Dark Empire, Shadows of the Empire. I think we should rephrase. You're much heavier books of the EU than comics of the EU reader. Yes. Because I think saying that you're a heavier book reader generally than a comic reader is incorrect. That's a fair point. (laughs) There are a few I've read a number of times. When Dark Horse lost the license to Marvel, when Disney made the purchase of Lucasfilm way back when, they actually did a special sale for every Dark Horse Star Wars comic ever published for a couple hundred bucks, which is frankly an amazing deal. And at the time, I had not read most of those. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) So I immediately bought bought that entire thing and then just sat down and read all of the EU comics, the ones I both read and hadn't read. and. So this is when I read those. This was shortly after the Disney acquisition. I remember liking them, but I don't remember details. But given how much, uh, Jan, as you remind us, this ties into Ice Age Revenge, we actually might read these someday just to help give closure for ourselves and for you, the listener. Yeah, I mean, Jan Claude pointed out that having read these comics just some days before our episode, it shines a lot of light on the way the book is built up. Stackpole was tying down some loose ends from his other X-Wing books, but also apparently from these comics. So that's why, in his opinion, and having not read the comics, but having gotten an idea of them from here, I can agree with him that the book feels weird if you haven't read the comics. Yeah, so I think we'll probably do these comics someday. This is one of my pet peeves, I gotta say. About just large universes? Yeah, there is an extent to which I can be convinced to like consume everything to make sure I'm not missing any details. But 
this isn't it for me. Like, I, I like things to be a little bit more uh, standalone or rather like less connected than that. I do and I don't. So I, I think a good example for me of one that I both love but also am annoyed by is in the High Republic, specifically Midnight Horizon. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I really like that book. But it's, I think, significantly proved if you've read the High Republic Adventures comics. Mm -hmm. And those are written for a younger age group than the Star Wars Marvel comics are. And because they are not written by Marvel, they're written by IDW, they're a little harder to track down. Yeah, so I feel like this this is part of the issue, right? It's when you're crossing mediums and then crossing publishers, too. Like, it becomes very complicated to keep track of exactly, like, what there is. Yeah. And like, I really loved those comics. I thought they were great. And I really loved the book and reading them together added to it. But I'm actually a little surprised. I think I got very lucky. I read those comics right before I read that book. Because for most of the higher public, I've been reading the comics after the fact, once they're all on Marvel Unlimited. But for those like, Oh, they're all at the library. I can read them real fast before I read Midnight Horizon. Yeah. I read those. It was in a couple days. And then I got Midnight Horizon read that. And it was like, Oh wow. I'm so glad I did that because I'm now so much more familiar with so many of these characters. Yeah. There's a particular plot line in Midnight Horizon that if you haven't read those comics, you would be like, why is this here at all? And indeed, I was still asking that question regardless because I felt like the book was really scattered and um, didn't connect very well, but that's a separate episode basically in 20 years. <laughs> we both like and dislike the cross media stories. Like, when they're done really well, they're really cool, but they can also just be frustrating to keep track of. I think the issue is that I will definitely go to a lot of effort for something that I am really into to cover, to like ingest all of that media. But if I am only sort of into it, I'm not going to track it down and I'm just going to be frustrated. And depending, even if you are really into it, it's still going to be hard to figure out exactly what you need to know or not know. Yeah. So again, going back to the question from Zach last month, when he was asking how do we choose what we read or don't read. And I said, you know, most of that's based on my experience. Most of my experience is based on the books and not the comics, which is why I didn't even think of reading these before I search revenge or the other X-Men books for that matter. Yeah. It's just, even, even when you're really into it, there can still be, especially when there's so much and it's, you know, 20 years ago or more, it's still easy to miss things. Record keeping wasn't like the greatest. And like, yet. again, we've got great sources like the Star Wars Reading Order, Wikipedia, etc. But like, one of the things I use is the order in the front flap of the EU books, and those don't bring up comics. Yeah. Jan Claude also said that he doesn't like another fake death, kind of like we were griping about, though he is happy that Wes Jansen isn't dead at all. I totally agree Wes with is you. Wonderful. When I have an issue with a fake death, it's not. It's almost never because I actually want the character to be dead. <laughs> well, except for Isard. <laughs> except for Isard. That's why I said almost never. <laughs> it's just that I want I want creators to use that plot device so sparingly. It is the the lightest little sprinkling of cilantro over the top of your novel dish. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That was a terrible, terrible metaphor slash analogy slash whatever. Jan Claude also shed some light on the Bothan adoption question, which was interesting to me. Apparently, Bothan society is structured more like clan structure. So orphaned kids, that is like kids who have lost their direct biological parents, probably just stay with the clan and are raised by the clan. 
nuclear family, which is more dominant in our Western culture, is probably not the building block of Bothan society. So that's interesting. I mean, one could certainly make the argument that it's a it's a better way to ensure that like terrible situations like our foster system don't happen. <laughs> and I confess, I don't remember the Bothan clan structure in great detail, but I know there are certain species where that is definitely the norm for this clan structure. Yeah. I think Slonians in the Krillian system are one of them, but we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> and Jan finishes up with just, you know, thank you for the podcast and saying that it rekindled his love for the EU books, even the ones that he didn't like. Like apparently another Stackpole book, which he just reread some weeks ago. I'm so curious about which Stackpole book it is. <laughs> There's, it's one of eight. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we've done five of them for the podcast. So it's got to be one of the other three, you think? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, so either I, Jedi, or one of the two from the Jedi Order. I believe it's Dark Tide Rune and Dark Tide Onslaught. Well, those are ominous titles. New Jedi Order is very ominous. <laughs> well, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> and Jan finishes up by saying best to us and our dog. Dog has been clamoring all over us for the last ten minutes. Desperately wanting a walk. Back and forth. I don't know if she desperately wants a walk or she just wants attention, but she's really soaking up the limelight. So thank you so much for your emails. We really appreciate hearing from you. Yeah. And uh, we're also glad that you uh, have a nice little holiday and that your thesis writing is over and done with. Congratulations. Yeah, seriously. Congrats. (laughs) That's an incredible accomplishment. So that wraps up this episode. Uh, Next up, we'll actually be jumping backwards in the Star Wars timeline and reading Kenobi by John Jackson Miller. You can look forward to that episode being published on April 3rd. Yes, yes, yes. I think you like this one. I love that one. Spoiler alert. It's a good one. You'll get to hear me not complain for (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Crystal for my crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com, especially if you want to leave us tantalizing hints about which Stackpole book you don't like, and follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. And hey, if you like us, you can rate us on your uh, podcast listening app of choice. I, I think the only... Okay, Spotify doesn't allow you to rate, I'm pretty sure. We actually did get a review on Apple Podcasts in December. We don't check those very often, so didn't see it until a few weeks ago. But thank you. But thank you. It was very nice. But yeah, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. is probably the best place for that. And now here it is, your moan of Star Wars. Hey, Wooher. Yeah? What do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. Someone who speaks two languages. Bilingual. Someone who speaks one language. Monolingual? Human. <laughs>